The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome, Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Witty City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, I am rested and ready to go. Had a bye week. I'm feeling good. Best shape of my life. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm on the training table right now, but I think I'm going to be good to go for next week. A little tape and aspirin to it and rub some dirt on it, and I should be back at it. No, it's it's been a busy couple of weeks, but uh, buoyed by the Bears' success, and you know the impending holiday is going to be a nice break. So uh, yeah, I'll take my own mini buy and and march in. But I'm I'm feeling all right. Good. Well, thanks to uh, PFF Brad, as he's known on the Twitter machine, for stepping in and being a great guest uh, host last week. Really appreciate Brad doing that, and I appreciated the break. It was nice to take a week off and then it was really weird to listen to the show without me on it but i do appreciate the conversation that you guys were able to have and that was great so uh, of course we're going to start off with a drink and honestly i'm kind of getting to the point where i really need to make a beer run because i don't really have anything (laughs) new and different right now yeah we're getting to the end of the year and i'm kind of running low and i don't really know what they do in jacksonville i've never actually been to jacksonville i've heard some negative things about Jacksonville, but I don't really know if this is fair to them. And But I have this bottle of moonshine. Um, it's actually from... <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's actually from Missouri. Wow. Uh, Osage okay. Beach, Missouri. And I just kind of... I don't know. I went down and was looking at liquor cabinet and everything, and I was like, okay, how about vanilla bean uh, moonshine with some root beer? That seems like something that maybe Jacksonville would be into. I, that's what I'm drinking tonight. Yay. Vanilla moonshine. Man, I I have a couple of moonshine stories, but we won't belabor the pod with those. Um, that's impressive. I feel, I must say, I feel a little inadequate. I feel undergunned. You've got moonshine. That's kind of... <laughs> so here's my cluster bomb. What do you have? And I'm like, well, I brought a slingshot. Um, anyways, I have a holiday beer... From one of my favorite breweries uh, that I have not had, so I'm excited. This is from Silver City Brewery, right out in Paulsville, Washington. It is their Old Scrooge Limited Series. has a nice top hat with some holly on it. It is 8.5 by volume, and this is the big 22-ounce uh, bottle. It is their Christmas Ale. Um, 
Intriguing notes of apple, cherry, and apricot. Yeah, yeah. I Mostly, I just skipped to the part where it says dark, malty ale. And I was like, I'm in. So, uh, Columbus and Willamette hops, uh, four different malts, which is a big malt profile, and really low IBUs just for my co-host, 26. Um, nice. So, I'm excited. I've not had it. Um, I opened this thing so it could warm up a little bit, but I also have a very fancy, and I don't know if you like these, these beer-shaped glass, beer can-shaped glass glasses. I'm a fan. Yeah. I like them. And this one is uh, pretty cool because it's overlaid with a map of Tacoma, Washington. Um, okay. Which is very near my house, and my house is actually visible, although I don't live in Tacoma. Or not my house is visible, but where I live is visible on this little map glass. And my wife was nice enough to get that for me while she was out shopping. Uh, so I'm going to break in a new glass and a new beer. Yeah, I don't know if those glasses are like good for the beer or anything like that, but I actually think they look pretty cool. It is kind of funny to open a can of beer and pour it into a can-shaped <laughs> glass. Uh, and you're pouring a bottle of beer into a can-shaped glass. Yeah, but I'm I think it's kind of – they're kind of cool. I've, I've got a Bears one. That's actually the one I use all the time on the show is, the, is the Bears glass. That is a um, really nice color. Yeah, you know that, that Shiner Cheer – Mm-hmm. The the holiday beer from Shiner that that's the apricot notes in that too. So I wonder if that's a a, a typical holiday beer thing is to use apricots. I never really examined the holiday beer market of what the flavors are, but that might be part of it. Yeah, a lot of times they do spices, and and I think my sure feel for my uh, feelings about spices in beer whenever it prominently features spices have sure. been honestly recorded on this pod, which is blah. If it's down there, I'll take it. But if the first or second thing you talk about in your beer is spices, I'm probably not going to like it. All right. Well, I, I have to tell you that it might not seem like something that you might want to drink, but vanilla moonshine with root beer kind of makes it taste like a root beer float. It's not bad at all. And so maybe that's like Jacksonville. You know, you heard it's not very good, but, you know, it's it's not bad at all. Oh, man. I really don't know anything about Jacksonville. I've been I, in Florida multiple times, but I've never actually been to Jacksonville. It might be a lovely place, and and all, all the best to it. But we'll get to the Jaguars at some point in this show. What we want to do in the first part, since I haven't been here in a couple weeks, Bears have won two games. And the question is, what the heck just happened? They were Bears were on a six-game losing streak. They snapped that by winning their last two games. And, you know, they're actually still in the playoff race, which I find kind of crazy given how the conversation went the last time we talked. And so I thought it would be interesting to go back and look at some of the things that we were talking about, what the Bears could do to try to salvage their season. So we did this on our show after the loss to the Titans. We kind of said, hey, here are some things that we think could happen right now if the Bears want to get competitive again. And here are some things that we think can happen in the offseason. And I actually went back and listened to the show and took some notes and so I wrote those down, and I don't know how we want to do this. Uh, DJ, do you want to kind of go over what you brought up on the show and how the Bears have responded and the, what I've said or back and forth, whatever, we can go from there? Yeah, I think I can bring up uh, the points that I brought up, and we can both talk about them, and, and then you can lead off your points and we can and weigh in on those. The four that I had uh, at the time were give Ryan all time over Cordero Patterson, spread out the offensive formation, incorporate pre-snap motion, and reduce the snaps for Robert Quinn. So we'll go through those one at a time. The first one was really more 
get away from putting Cordero Patterson in the backfield regularly because his production, while it has gotten better, he's not a running back. And he's looked a little bit more like a running back, but he still wasn't producing. And the Bears decided instead of removing him from the backfield, he did suffer a toe injury, but instead of removing him from the backfield and replacing him with Ryan Nall, they just gave all those carries to David Montgomery, which <laughs> right. I am totally fine with. If we'd had that option, the Bears have been very much by committee for a while now. It was Tariq Cohen uh, before he got hurt. There was a little bit of Patterson, then more Patterson after Tariq Cohen got hurt. But they've always done this. And one of the things that we've been critical of is when the run is working, which it has not been for the entire year. There have been fits and spurts of that. When it has been working, especially in the first half of games, we've seen them go away from it in the second half of games uh, to their detriment. You know, uh, David Montgomery would get five or six carries. They would look good in the first half and he'd get two in the second half. What I was really trying to say is get back to having running backs in the backfield and using them a little bit more when it was going. Now that's a factor of play calling and the offensive line and everything else. So I, I would give this a sort of half or an incomplete they, they did what I wanted them to do. They just did it in a very different way, and it's worked tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. I think that more carries for David Montgomery is a good thing. I don't think that you were necessarily saying that Ryan Nall was like an emerging talent that needed to get his touches or anything like that. It was more saying, like, okay, like we've, we've seen enough of the Patterson stuff. Like Get real running backs at the back there and, and get some carries. And if that real running back is your real number one running back and giving him more, that's actually the best case scenario. And that's what's happened. Yeah, it's turned out that way. Actually, I was just stroking my uh, co-host's ego because he loves Oregon State players. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll always agree with you if you say uh, something about Oregon State or Iowa, yeah. Northern Iowa. So, the yeah, spread absolutely. out the formation thing has not happened a ton. We've seen some variation with it, but I'm not going to chalk it up as a straight win because they have not gone to it um, as much. However, they have found more success in those compacted formations. Uh, it felt like without good offensive line blocking, giving themselves a little bit more space in their offensive sets was going to give them some advantage, bigger running lanes for David Montgomery for one, uh, but also a little bit more space and quicker developing routes, which certainly with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback is a good thing. They haven't spread it out as much, but the blocking has come up. The blocking in the O-line has been more solid. And so the effect has been somewhat similar and the need to spread it out is a little bit less but still, I'm not going to chalk that one up as a straight W because, uh, again, they got there, but it was the other way around the barn. Yeah, this is actually, I think, the one that is the least correct of all of the... Th not correct, but the, the, the thing that's been done uh, sparingly, if, if at all. Uh, the rest of them, I think, are... We got a little bit more correct. Yeah. Incorporating pre-snap motion, we've seen some of it. Uh, still not as much as other teams. The Bears still lag behind most teams in the NFL with pre-snap motion and motion during the snap especially, which is really designed to put defenders into conflict. Do I take this guy or do I take this guy? That's the whole point. Um, pre-snap motion that ends before the snap is really to help the quarterback identify what the coverage is. Uh, motion that is occurring during the snap, we see that a lot from teams like Kansas City and Los Angeles. Uh, there are a bunch of teams that run that effectively, and that's really to put defenders in conflict 
at a moment and not give themselves, uh, not give them a chance to sort of set their mental aspect of, okay, this is my guy, I've got him, but oh, is he your guy or my guy? And basically make yards off that confusion. So we haven't seen tons of motion at the snap, a little bit more pre-snap motion, which is good because before this, uh, at the point we recorded this originally, they were using almost no motion. They were just coming up to the line and running a play. And that makes it pretty much as easy as possible for the defense. Yeah, I think that what's interesting about pre-snap motion, and this is just kind of a football theory thing, I think most people recognize the value of it in terms of like, oh, this is going to reveal information about what coverage this team is playing because I take a guy from the left and move him over to the right. That guy goes with him. Okay, I know that that guy's in man coverage. That, that Those sorts of things. And that any sort of information that you can give your quarterback and give your offense so that you can uh, shift your play, that those are things that are good. But those are also games that are played in that. And a lot of times what you're doing with that pre-snap motion is you're trying to change the math so that you can get a linebacker out of the box and you can get a more favorable front to run against. And you're also just trying to maybe get get them thinking, get that little bit of confusion, have them take a false step, or maybe just have them be flat-footed for just a split second. And sometimes that's all you need for that guard to be able to get, it, get up and get that block on that linebacker, what have you. It's a game of inches, and it's anything that can kind of play with that defense to give you just the slightest advantage, which may be the difference between a three-yard gain and a 30-yard gain. Yeah, fully agree. Um, would love to see a little bit more motion. And reduce snaps for Robert Quinn. Now, this one's interesting because in the meantime, since we recorded this, it's come out that Robert Quinn has been suffering from an injury for most of the season. Uh, Brad Biggs, I believe, broke that story. And uh, there was a question about timing, and I went back and forth with one of our other contributors, Bill Zimmerman, at, at Windy City Gridiron about this, and we were like, so... Bill said, well, I can't understand why he didn't, why he, Brad Biggs, didn't reveal that earlier. And I said, "Mm, maybe conflict with the source, right? He wasn't going to get the information if he let it out at the time. That's a competitive disadvantage if you're, you know, your competition knows that you're injured. Um, So maybe the source said, look, I'll tell you, but you can't tell anybody until he's healed or, uh, you know, not suffering the effects anymore, something like that. That wouldn't be uncommon. Now, none of that's confirmed. Uh, but Quinn's performance on Sunday confirmed that he's feeling a bit better just physically because he came out and had a game and he showed better bend around the edge than I've seen all year out of him. He, that is, he got lower, took less steps. Um, if you are into sort of pass rushing or pass rushing technique or theory, bending the edge is is one of the most desirable traits and Quinn has been rushing upright for much of the year now if he was suffering from a fairly serious injury uh, it's called drop foot Uh, it's some nerve issue that basically keeps you from being able to raise the front of your foot uh, along with the rest of your foot it's pretty serious um Jalen Smith uh, of the Cowboys suffered a similar fate uh, after his knee injury for about a year and a half. It's a very difficult injury to sort of play through. So uh, if he was truly hurt, yeah, they probably should have reduced his snaps at that point. But now if he's healed and can play like he did on Sunday, uh, I'm going to scratch this one off the list and say, no, no, shh, don't listen. (laughs) Well, no, I, but I think that this is one of those situations where you get a new piece of information and all of a sudden you go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That starts to explain some things that I couldn't figure out. Why does Robert Quinn go from a guy 
who's incredibly successful and then come over here with better supporting cast and he just doesn't have it. And, you you know, we've talked about this, maybe not on the recorded pod, but we've been like, is there something wrong with Quinn? Is, you know, is he hurt? Is he nursing an injury that we don't know about? Because so many of these guys do that. So many of these guys are not playing 100%. Nobody's playing 100% unless they've been on the bench all year. All these guys are playing through something or multiple things. But this is not something that's landed him on injury reports or anything that we could we could look at. It's something that he's been maybe dealing with in private. Again, we don't know if this is a real report, but boy, it sure makes a lot of sense if it is real. And so this is one of those things to me that it's like this makes sense because, well, one, reduces snaps because he's hurt. Uh, that makes sense. And a hurt Robert Quinn is maybe not as effective as somebody else you have on the team. Uh, but now that he's maybe hopefully back to full health or getting getting nearer to that, maybe we can start to see what Ryan Pace's plan was in the offseason and these last couple of games and get some momentum for this pass rush going into next year. And the funny thing is the Bears line has this thing where when their top guys are going off, and maybe it's not so funny, when their top guys are going off, when Mac is healthy, when Hicks is healthy, uh, now hopefully when Quinn is getting back to healthy, their second line guys start producing like gangbusters, and Bilal Nichols needs a call out. He had a freaking game against the Vikings. He was a force, and this is what happens when the other let's just say elite guys because i think Bilal nichols is a very very good football player and underrated but when these elite guys are drawing pressure drawing double teams and they're sort of at full strength as well or all of them are in complement on the field you know we've seen it with roy robertson harris when last year when at the beginning of last year when the defense was just tearing like at full strength those fifth and sixth guys start to come through and Bilal Nichols showed that on Sunday like in spades was one of those things you go back in Bears history right and you go and you say like oh Richard Dent and Steve McMichael and Dan Hampton you know and these guys are wait Mike Hartenstein how did he get six sacks how did he get eight you know it's like (laughs) well yeah did you see the guy he's he's playing with and nothing wrong with Mike Hartenstein good solid player but that allows your guys that are those good solid players to start to pop because they get favorable matchups because the blocking scheme says, well, we're going to take our chances with this guy. And you're going to get those one-on-ones, and you're going to win those one-on-ones because you're a good football player. And so, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's fun to see when it's all clicking. And so hopefully Quinn is healthy. I know Max has been kind of struggling through some stuff too this year. Man, I'd just love to see this defense fully healthy. And I, I think we got robbed of that a little bit this year. All right, we'll flip it over, talk about the things that I said the Bears could do to get immediate success. Number one. Find new, a new career for Rashad Coward, uh, addition by subtraction. I don't know if they have sent his resume out and he's you know interviewed for new positions or anything like that, but he is no longer a starting offensive lineman for this team, although he did have that one. Like he was on special teams and he got blown up on that extra point. And the extra point got missed, and it's like, eh, take him off special teams too. Uh, but... <laughs> I said in the show, look, move move white hair to guard. I've been you guys have heard me say that so many times. I'm not into the white hair at center thing. And I I, I sorry, I'm a little out of breath. I just got done taking a victory lap before the show because I think everybody is now in agreement that white hair to guard is the right answer. Must defer to center, mentioned that, mentioned putting bars in at guard, and that was a big question mark. We didn't know exactly what we were going to get out of bars. Early reps from bars weren't very promising. He's played better in the last couple of games. I don't know that this guy's like 
well, yeah, this guy's a starting guard in the future, but he's certainly part of your future in that offensive line room. He's a guy that definitely looks like good interior depth. So I feel like that one was a home run, absolutely knocked that one out of the park. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into this one. It absolutely on the field has worked out to be, I think, the core driver of the Bears' offensive success for all the other things we talk about. The game plan for Trubisky, more carries for Montgomery. All that stuff is possible because the interior of the Bears' offensive line is not automatically caving in instantly on almost every play. And that even extends out to the edges. There was a conversation about Charles Leno today, and everybody said, look, he's really good at doing his job. He's not great at doing his job and half of the guy next to him's job. And Mm -hmm. no offensive lineman is. That's the part of offensive line play where it is truly a chain and everybody's a link in the chain. And if there's one bad link, in this case, Richard Coward, everybody around him is trying to do more. And Bars is a really interesting sort of litmus test case for that because his early reps, I was a huge Bars fan when the Bears were able to sign him. Uh, he'd played very well in college. He'd had an injury. It was surprising he didn't get signed. I thought it was a real value add. So I, I was kind of waiting for him to get his chance and come in and demonstrate that, yeah, he was a great player. He came in, he didn't look that good. And he had some really bad reps. And I thought, oh, maybe I was, maybe I was wrong. But especially if you get a guy like that, that's new, that is also trying to do somebody else's job, it's not going to look great. Now in his sort of second act, not only does he come in with competent people, but he also comes in with his line mate from Notre Dame. He played with Sam yep. Mustafer at Notre Dame for years. Right. Those two know each other, and they can count on that, and that is a big deal in offensive line play. You got yours. I got mine. I know what you're going to do in this situation, and Bars and Mustafer have that. And now in this second act, again, he's not like world beater, road grader, but he has looked very competent and more so than that first stint yeah we always used to say you're only as strong as your weakest link don't let that weak link be you that was more of a team thing not just an offensive line thing but i always liked that and i always thought about that in terms of football like you know you're you're playing with one another and you know keep striving to work you know not just for yourself but for the guys around you and nothing more more important than offensive line play for that team within a team concept and so yeah i I do think that the offensive line reconfiguration and getting back to health and all that kind of stuff has been one of the key drivers. I think this next piece I have correct, but I have correct for maybe the wrong reason, if I will. So the next one is play action works needs to be part of the offense. And so this is what happened is coming out of the bye, they went back to Trubisky and they went back to the offense they were running in the first couple of weeks, which was what would you call it? Kyle Shanahan kind of style where you're you're more what would you call it? I would uh, call it a, a haystack on fire. It was really bad. No, 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 no. <laughs> Coming out of the bye, the, yeah. the 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 Trubisky offense where they've reduced the the field in half. It's a oh, lot of boots. Yeah. You know, the McVeigh when we played the Rams, like man, they had golf booting out half the plays. So it's half field reads, it's 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 simplifying the game for Trubisky so that he only has to make one or two reads or he tucks and runs. It's getting him out in space. You know, he doesn't have to sit in the pocket as much. That wasn't the offense that Foles was running. Not that you want Foles <laughs> to be trying to bootleg out. I was gonna say, but, wait. <laughs> so I think what happened was in the offseason 
they, you know, as they're getting closer, they're like, look, Trubisky, we know that Trubisky can't run Nagy's offense from, from 2018, 2019, the way that we want him to. And so we need to design an offense that can maximize this, this personnel with Trubisky in the game. And so we need to go to something that's more outside zone runs, bootlegs, cutting the field in half, giving him simpler reads, getting him an opportunity to run. And then when Nagy benched him and brought in Foles, he didn't keep that offense. He went back to the Nagy offense that he wants, he clearly wants to run. He wants to run that form of the offense that he brought over with him from Kansas City. And then when they came out of the bye and they said, well, Trubisky's healthier, or maybe they wanted to go back to Trubisky, whatever the real story was, they didn't keep that offense that Foles was running they went back to the offense they were running the first couple weeks which is again that that heavy boot action a lot more running under center which has been successful and and that's good and there's a couple of things that have changed since that time you know play call and all that we'll get to that but you know this has been the correct way to get more out of this offense it was just it came with a change in philosophy a change in quarterback a change in signal color so there is more play action and it has been successful but it's come with a lot of other stuff that i wasn't anticipating true i'm still going to give you a pretty straight win on this one we've we've been asking for this for a long time because it's proven to work throughout the league i don't care what kind of offense you run i don't care who your play caller is or what derivation your scheme came from play action works and it works without a running game you do not have to quote unquote establish the run for play action to work that's not the point um case in point you see some really lousy play action fakes around the league and they still give those quarterbacks an extra half second and a little bit more space at the linebacker depth to throw those crossing routes. So play action has been something we've hammered the table for, for a very long time. Uh, it's come in. I would agree with you sort of at the right time. Uh, Trubisky has, uh, let's say ascended to a point where he feels like he can advocate for himself. There was a very interesting article today that came out that said, you know, he changed when he realized that, he wasn't the Bears' golden boy anymore, that he was just another pending free agent to be, that he decided, all right, it's time to sort of take my career in my hands and say what I want and give myself, you know, force myself to a seat at the table and say, this is what works for me. This is what we should be doing. And that was not something, for whatever reason, that he felt comfortable doing before that. So it's an adverse situation creating a positive effect. We talked about the stabilization of the interior offensive line and you know, more carries and more effectiveness because of that offensive line for David Montgomery. And suddenly play action looks golden, not just good, but like golden for the bears. It's they're hitting on all cylinders on their play action plays because of three or four things happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Play action. You know, a lot of people think it's just about the quarterback and the running back exchange because it's a fake handoff. That's part of it. And a good fake is important, but a lot of it's the line action and the line action has to sell that play action. And so that is a good offensive lineman will help you do that and will help you feel more comfortable doing it because you believe that it'll get blocked up and you'll have that time to get your head downfield and make your read. So all those things have happened and have looked pretty good. Uh, The next one, this was more of a shared one. I put it under me because I presented it in the show, but I know you agreed with it wholeheartedly. And that was eliminate Jimmy Graham's snaps between the twenty, between the twenties, and get Cole Komet those snaps. Now, 
That absolutely happened. Cole Komet's snap rate has gone way up. His targets have gone way up. Jimmy Graham maybe not eliminated between the 20s. He's still out there from time to time, but his snaps have gone way down, and he is still being used in the red zone, which he should be, but uh, this is definitely what has happened. Uh, Cole Komet has taken over the, the lion's share of the snaps in this offense, and that is a good thing in my book. And, oh, crazy, he's looked pretty good doing it. Yeah, this one, this one's a pure win, win with a star, whatever you want on this one, uh, because we had advocated for this because Graham has never been a tremendous blocker, even in his prime in New Orleans, um, yeah, certainly in his time with the Seahawks. Jimmy Graham has never been, I would say, even a marginal blocker, an effective blocker, a get-in-the-way blocker. It's not his game. He's a post-up guy, former basketball player, and he is really good at that. And right now, at the end of his career, and a little bit more limited athletically, he's not great at those deep seam routes and and everything else that he made a living off of earlier in his career. Really, what he has is that little sort of corner route, post up, push off, get the touchdown, and that's great. <laughs> Definitely um, that. <laughs> he's he's done it four times this year for the Bears, and right. still looks good doing it. But Komet is good for everything else, and it's weird because everything about Komet like Komet is a hand-picked guy of this staff like this entire staff wanted Komet they prioritized him they literally took him with their first pick in the draft it was not a first round pick but their first pick in the draft and they have talked him up since moment one oh he's so smart we can't fool him he knows the whole offense he's huge he's fast you know and it's, oh, we want to get him more snaps. We want to get him more snaps. We want to get him more snaps. And he was getting, you know, five, six, maybe eight snaps a game for the whole first third of the season. And it was like, all right, right. So if he's so good and Graham's really limited, like, what the hell's going on here? And they finally, I don't know what changed. Somebody finally probably had to come to Jesus, sit down and said, look. <laughs> Komet gets most of the snaps from here on out, and we're going to live through the rookie part of it, and then we're going to see what he can do. And he's produced both in the running game and the blocking game. He's not a great blocker, but I would say he's improving. And he is huge, and he is stronger than Jimmy Graham at this point of his career. So he's helped in blocking, and he's improving, and receiving, certainly in the middle of the field, has been much better than what Graham provides. And we've seen some real uh, spirit, <laughs> grit, fights, uh-huh. whatever you want to say out of him. He is not a guy that wants to go down very easily um, and actually won the angry run of the week from Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football uh, for a play not the Vikings game, but the game before that. So we're seeing some good things from Komet and more playing time for him as the number one tight end in this offense is all positive. And again, I couldn't believe the meltdowns that people on Twitter were having about, ah, Cole Komet's bust. He can't get on the field. And when he's there, he's not there. It's like, guys, tight end. Take your time. Let's 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 get him through his first year. Let's see what happens. And now, you know, he's looking good, and that's great. Like, again, not a pick that we were like we would have done if we were in the GM chair, but like excited about the player. And here he is with an opportunity, he's doing good things. So that one's a win. Last one I brought up on what we thought we could do now to try to change things was a little bit focused on the defense. Everything's focused on the offense. So I wanted to, to unleash the defense, bring more pressure, create chaos, start stunting, all those things. And you've seen a little bit of it. You've seen Chuck Pagano dial up 
a little bit more stunts along the defensive line to try to free a rusher up. You've seen him bring a little bit more pressure. It's not quite what I had in my head, but he has brought some pressure, particularly against a guy like Deshaun Watson who likes to hold on to the ball. They did seem to get after Deshaun Watson pretty well. So this isn't quite to the level that I would be like, yeah, this is definitely what's happened. But he has looked like he's loosened up a little bit and been able to bring a little bit more pressure. Yeah, and some of that comes with them actually scoring points because we talked about this earlier in the year that Pagano's line that he has to walk during a game before the offense started to produce points. And we should say the last three weeks, the Bears producing 30-plus points three weeks in a row. The last time they did that was 2013, right? So it's been seven years since they had a three-game stretch where they put up 30 points in three consecutive weeks. So before that, Chuck Pagano was really limited to, I can make about one big mistake a game. I can give up maybe six points a game on a touchdown. And other than that, if I give up more than that, I'm going to lose because my offense is producing... 14, maybe 10 points a game. He didn't have any margin for error. So the idea of selling out on something like zero or bringing the house or, um, you know, running a limited coverage where you're doing a switch in the secondary, any of that stuff was a real gamble because if the offense hit, which look, there's good players on the other side too. And if the offense hit on that, when he called it, that was it. Bears were sunk for the day because they weren't going to come back and make any points. Now that the Bears have started to score some points, score some points early, which is just super odd, I got to say, as a Bears fan, to have David (laughs) Montgomery just rip off a huge touchdown run. You're like, wait, wait, what, we're up? Like, I went to get a beer and we have points? Like, weird, 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 but really great for Pagano. However, I think he's been a little bit slow to pull the trigger, and I don't blame him. It's almost like habit, right? Like, wait, wait, you're telling me we have points? Well, are we going to get any more? Or are those all the points we're getting? Because we used to get at least one touchdown. We got it now. Is it? Are we going to not score for the rest of the day? So he hasn't unleashed the hounds, and maybe that's what we wanted to see. But you have seen more five-man rushes, which I think is a good thing. you got to bring that to change it up every once in a while to really make the offensive line think about where's the pressure coming from. If you know it's just those four guys, you can handle the twists and stunts. If occasionally... Roquan Smith is coming or occasionally Tayshawn Gibson is coming off the edge or even Kyle Fuller then you just have again you said earlier about play action introduce doubt right make those players think for just a minute about am I sure that this guy is the guy I'm going to have to be blocking or do I need to be looking out the corner of my eye at this other guy so Pagano's done more of that but not a ton Um, And he hasn't sort of fully shifted to it. And I would like to see a little bit more attack mode, but we've seen some of it. So I'm not going to be super greedy. Yeah. You want, you want to trick the offensive line where they have reps where they're blocking air. That's, that's really what you're trying to do. I mean, obviously if if you get two guys blocking one guy and one guy rushes free, that's great too. But you want to see a lot of guys just sitting there going, Oh, uh, that I read that wrong. I'm just blocking air. Now you see a lot of like a, like a Mike Zimmer will bring, you know, walk two guys up right over the center, call it, you know, showing double A gap, and and uh, then he'll back out of it in the last second, you know. So it's just it's just trying to create doubt and trying to mess with the offensive linemen and, and their count. So interesting stuff. The bonus one that I wanted to bring up was in the second, you know, part of this conversation. We talked about what they could do in the off season. One of the things that we mentioned is 
Matt Nagy wants to stay head coach of the Chicago Bears, he's going to need to have this conversation where he says, I don't have it as a play caller, and I'm going to give that up, and I, I'm going to remain the head coach. I'm going to be more of that figurehead and motivator and leader, but I'm going to help out with offensive design. You know, I'm going to draw a play up, you know, whatever, but I'm not going to call the plays. We're going to have somebody that has a better rhythm to that. And they did that, on, they did that already. They did that at the bye. So we're going to take an early win on that one. So that's cool. So overall, I feel like a lot of what the Bears did was what we wanted them to do. That's pretty cool to see. It's pretty cool to identify, like, look, I, I see this as a problem. I think you need to change this and do it this way. And a lot of that happened. Maybe not as fast as we would have liked, but I think that you have to give a little bit of credit to Matt Nagy for eventually doing it. A lot of coaches will just stay firm the whole time until they're in the unemployment line. <laughs> Mike McCarthy. <laughs> Mike, Mike McCarthy is an excellent example of that. And Matt Nagy did eventually come to the realization that he needed to make changes, and he made them. Again, maybe a couple of weeks too late, but... Who's to say when you're in that weekly grind, it's easy for us to sit here and talk on a Wednesday night and say, hey, you know, they should have been doing this. Eh, okay, this, it's, it, this is tough stuff. They're in high-pressure situations. I give Nagy a little bit of credit for this. Yeah, absolutely. I fully agree. It's not an easy thing to do. You have to put your ego in your pocket and say it's not working. And it's been really interesting. I've been having a lot of conversations on Twitter and elsewhere about Bill Lazor taking over his play caller and the Bears offense. We talked about the number of points earlier. That's a that's a factual difference, right? That's a yep. that's an analytics difference. Um, but so many people have said, yeah, but well about Nagy, right? And I'm like, uh, they didn't make any major trades. Yes, the offensive line has gotten a little bit healthier, but guess what? Everybody that's playing on the offensive line was on the team, Yep. <laughs> right? This is a choice about utilization. This is a choice about prioritizing Cordell Patterson over David Montgomery. This is a choice of starting Rashad Coward instead of Mustafa and Bars, right? This is a choice about when you call these plays. And since Lazer's taken over, after the first week, week and a half, where... You knew there was going to be a little bit of disruption. There always is when it's a change of this magnitude, right? You're you're getting to know the flow and the rhythm, the players. You just changed quarterbacks when Laser takes over. Like, given that sort of, okay, we'll give you a pass for the first week because it looked a little bit more inspiring, but largely the same. And I would say that even bled into the first half of the next game. Since that point, the Bears offense has been night and day difference in terms of effectiveness. The number of plays the Bears run now that have a good chance of success and keep the defense off balance compared to, again, same pool of player personnel, assuming these are the same plays that Matt Nagy drew up, right? They didn't draw up a new offense for Bill Lazor. He's picking out of the same grab bag of plays and he's deciding when to pull the trigger on what. The effectiveness of the offense is night and day and i'm gonna give laser credit for just that right being able to call the right play at the right time take the plays that don't work throw them out maybe that's listening to trubisky now that he's advocating for himself doesn't matter right the effectiveness overall in the last three weeks has been not at all what it was 
for the balance of this entire year. And yet nobody wants to credit that change. You're like, well, these are all the plays that Nagy had, but he didn't have the players to run on. I'm like, it's the same players. Yeah. It, <laughs> right? You know, it's interesting because I, I, I'm not saying that they're new plays, but the way that I understand how a game plan is put together is that they're generally going to pick a subset of the overall playbook that they're going to go into that game with so that players are familiar with those plays. Yeah, they've run them in practice, but again, like, hey, we think these are going to work. Here's our game plan for the types of plays that we're going to run. Here's this, I don't know, 40, 60 type of plays that we're going to run. And then from that pool, they're going to pick the plays that they coached up all week and they're, and they're in, in the game. And so these plays might be from the large Matt Nagy, you know, playbook system that Bill Lazor maybe helped create over the offseason. Maybe that is where they existed before this. But I don't think a lot of these plays were ever being called or maybe even ever put in the game plan. And so the difference is like the week of preparation that says, I think this is these are the dozens of plays that I want to be able to pull from. And he's pulling very different plays into that set. And then on game day when he's calling them, they may be, you know, Matt Nagy may have had a hand in creating those plays or pulling those plays from other playbooks or what have you. But Matt Nagy might not have been putting them in the playbook for, certainly for Nick Foles. I mean, you're not going to put a lot of these plays in for Nick Foles. A lot of these plays, I think, were being put in for, for Mitchell Trubisky. And so I think that it's it's been a complete change altogether. It's been a complete change in the focus of how they want to run this system. So it may be Matt Nagy's team and Matt Nagy's offense, but I think it's very different offensive philosophies within that universe that we've seen in the first couple of weeks with Mitchell Trubisky, and that did not work because Matt Nagy was still calling plays under a subset of the universe that he probably didn't like very much. And then you go to the Foles phase where he went right back to calling the plays that he likes and the plays that he wanted to run. And that wasn't very successful overall. Certainly the results were not there. I think we can provide a little bit of context to what Nick Foles was facing. I don't want to be a Nick Foles apologist because I was the least happy with that Nick Foles move of anybody that I know. My wife still makes fun of me for my reaction to when I found out what happened there. So believe me, I'm not a Mick Foles apologist, but you know he was playing. Look, he played the Saints. They're the number two defense by DVOA in the league. He played the Rams. They're the number four defense. He played the Bucks, number five defense. He played the Colts, number six defense. So he played four of the top six defenses by DVOA. By the way, the Bears are seventh. So again, he played much more difficult higher degree of difficulty competition. He also watched James Daniels get hurt in front of him in that Bucks game and then watched that offensive line disintegrate in the games after that and that offensive line is now healthier minus of course James Daniels not there anymore and Whitehair is in a better position. So all of these things contribute but when you get the offensive line healthy, you've got a healthy Trubisky, and you've got Bill Lazor, who is more comfortable calling this version of the offense that Trubisky's running than Matt Nagy certainly was in the first couple of weeks. You have what I would consider to be the ceiling for this personnel showing itself on Sundays right now. And that's the best thing ever. I think you mentioned something in that last phrase about Bill Lazor calling 
we can talk about a subset of the the playbook, but even within that subset of the playbook, if you give a guy 20 plays and you say, okay, these are your 20 plays and you give him situational football and say, okay, it's, you know, third and four, you got a, a nice six yard gain on first, you subbed out on second and now it's third and four. Like given what you've seen in the flow of the game, what are you calling right here based on everything you know? Laser is clearly better at that skill than Matt Nagy was. Right. Because Matt Nagy had, again, the full playbook at his disposal. He wrote it. Uh, he had most of the players, certainly early in the season. But like you said, he wasn't comfortable within it. He didn't want to be there or whatever else. I don't really care at this point. It's not about assigning blame. It's about looking at one result with a guy calling the game plan and another result of the guy calling the game plan, quite frankly, in a larger sample in more games and going, this is clearly more effective. Yeah. Right. Watching the Bears on offense right now is not like pulling your own teeth out with pliers. <laughs> so and that's what it was like earlier in the year. So I think this is where I think this is where we're trying to get, and I maybe you, you can agree or disagree here, but the conversation that's going on right now is this Mitchell Trubisky versus uh Nick Foles, and clearly Foles is garbage, and you know, you know, some people are Trubisky's great now and all this kind of stuff. Look, this is a Matt Nagy was not comfortable calling plays for Mitchell Trubisky in this version of the offense in the first couple of weeks. Couldn't wait to go back to what he felt was the right offense for this team. He brought Nick Foles in. Was not working very well. Yes, high level of competition, but was not working very well. They change up Laser, bring Trubisky back, and it looks a lot better. This is a Matt Nagy-Bill Laser conversation. The conversation between Trubisky and Foles, look, neither one are the right guy for the future, in my opinion. They, these, neither one of these guys are the guys that are going to take the Bears to the Super Bowl. Could you get enough out of these guys to be competitive, win the games that you should, support that good defense, get into the playoffs, chip in a chair, maybe take your chances? Absolutely. That's what happened in 2018. That absolutely could happen. But I think the question more is like Matt Nagy made – the decision to give off play calling, Bill Lazor has shown that he is a legitimate play caller, and now we know what Matt Nagy is in terms of what the value is that he brings to this team. And that's the head coach leadership. It's not as a play caller. That that ship has sailed. The quarterback conversation, I still think you can isolate what we've seen out of Mitch Trubisky. Advanced stats, sure, but film, 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 and what he's been able to produce on the field in his four years and know that even with this burst towards the end of his fourth year it's still the same guy you know and this has been a subset of bears twitter for the last week is this oh don't sign mitchell to a big four or five year extension i don't know anybody that's saying anybody should sign mitchell trubisky to the bears for a four or five year extension i don't really think that's the question it's the question of does he come back on a one-year deal or a provisional two-year deal with kind of prove it clauses to be the bridge because he is effective in this current version if they keep the coaching staff. That seems reasonable. I'm not going to fight tooth and nail against that because I can see a bunch of wins being generated by that. Is it the overall answer? Is it going to take you to the Super Bowl? Is it going to beat Pat Mahomes when he comes up as the AFC representative? It's not, right? But the Bears are going to be in a bridge situation no matter what in 2021. 
So is Mitchell Trubisky on a one-year deal if he'll take it? A bad thing in the current version in the current iteration his his maturation the maturation of the bears and their play calling like no i think that's a semi-competitive squad we've seen it over the last three weeks is it the long-term answer hell no it is absolutely not um but just for fun if you had to compare andy dalton to either nick Foles or mitch trubisky which one do you think he's more like Boy, I have I, this is this is bad. I have such a low opinion of Nick Foles, and, and, I, and I have since the start. And uh, and I just it's just be it's it's a guy that has he had, he went on one heater, and that's great. Like he's got that. Yeah, for the rest it was of his a, life. it was an all time it was an all time like Vegas story heater. Yeah, it was an all time heater. Right, he's got a ring. He doesn't have to buy a drink in Philadelphia for the rest of his life. All that is true, and all that is great. And I think he seems like a wonderful human being, but. I don't believe in a guy that's on his sixth stop in his professional career. Like, I just did not like it. And I really didn't like it because there was compensation involved. And so it's harder to, for me because I felt like a couple of the guys were going to be available for cheaper. And you don't have to guarantee him much money. They're going to be willing to come in and compete for the job. Uh, and Dalton was one of those guys. I know he was under contract when the Bears went out and got Foles. And so for me, Dalton always seemed like a better option than Foles because – I thought that he would come for cheap and he would come in a free agency route and not have to give up any capital. So I guess I, in my mind, I'm, I'm wrapping that compensation up anyway. And so skip that. And yeah, I know. Look at the guys on film and look at like how they move and, and what they're most comfortable doing. And we've got three guys here. We've got Foles and Trubisky on the Bears side, and we've got Dalton, well, currently on on the Dallas side, but let's just say from the Bengals side because that's the majority of his tape. Like, if you had to compare their play styles, would you say Dalton is more of a Foles on the field or more of a Trubisky on the field? <laughs> uh, I guess I'd say Foles. Am I wrong? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. I think I don't think they're the same player at all, but... Dalton clearly doesn't have the mobility of Trubisky, um, nor do I think that he has the overall arm. I think he has better, I think he's got better touch and anticipation typically than Trubisky does. Trubisky's more of a see it, throw it guy. Um, Foles is more of a, you know, I'll throw it to a spot where a guy's going to be. We saw more of that even in his limited starts where he's able to loop it up based on what a guy's doing on a break. So I think Dalton is more like Foles, right? So it would be a very interesting acid test of this Trubisky-Foles naggy laser discussion to see Foles with laser. Because because laser had a ton of success with Dalton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a quarterback. Gotcha. Right? So if you line up Nick Foles, who's much more, I think, like Dalton than Trubisky is... I bet Laser continues to be able to sequence plays and adjust to the fact that, hey, I don't have the mobility, but I do have this ability to anticipate throws a little bit. I bet that the Bears offense with the Foles-Laser combination would look a whole lot better than the Bears-Foles-Naggy combination. Yeah, and I see where if you're that's going. the case, you're down to Laser as the difference maker. So I don't think we're going to get to see that, and that's okay. But just in a theoretical concept, I bet it would. 
It, yeah, I honestly I did not where you're, know where you're going with that because I kept trying to, okay, Dalton has not done very well under Mike McCarthy, but, like, are we really blaming Andy Dalton for not doing that well under Mike McCarthy? And, and <laughs> that's okay, why I thought you so were going. So this is clearly my favorite part of this podcast then because I had you confused for just a second. Yeah. I well, basically ran play action on you, and it worked. Listen, I'm drinking moonshine, and that is, uh, that that's is a real it. thing. You don't you don't need to go any farther than that. Having <laughs> having had moonshine myself, I'm with you. And the whole blind thing, it's not really an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I I think you're I think you're right. I think you're onto something. And and I just wanted I'm again not being a fool's apologist, but like I think that there is some context for that middle of the season that Foles was starting, and there is some context on the flip side. You know, Trubisky has faced past defenses that aren't very good they're you know in the middle or at the bottom of the league and he's going to face another one here this weekend uh, with Jacksonville we'll see what happens in the next week against the Packers if they're playing for something so Trubisky could have a very positive end to this to this season but again that's there's and there's that's great there it's against teams that you should beat up on and he's beating up on them that's what you need to see but is it enough for you to want to go into the next season when you know you're going to have to face that you know full schedule of good defenses i you know i i'm not there so we'll leave it at that well i'm sure we'll talk about it in the offseason we'll see what happens with all that but let's take a quick break and then let's talk about uh, the jaguars and the bears playoff hopes all right dj so the bears need to win out against a one in 13 jags team which again out of breath, taking a victory lap that the Jags uh, hit their under. They were over under a four and a half wins. I bet the under, they that came in quite comfortably. So they are one and thirteen, and I got that win. The division rival Packers are on the schedule in Week Seventeen. A full strength Packers team would really worry me. The Packers may not need that game because they have an opportunity, I believe, depending on. Uh, tiebreakers and whatnot that I'm not completely sure on, but they can clinch the number one seed with a win against Tennessee this weekend. And so if that happens, I can imagine that the Packers would not put Aaron Rodgers in harm's way and would maybe uh, rest a couple of other starters. And so the Bears may get an opportunity to play the Packers at you know not full strength. They do need the Cardinals to drop one of their two final games. The Cardinals play the 49ers this weekend. 49ers are really beat up. They're down to C.J. Beathard at quarterback. Uh, They've been having a little bit of success under Nick Mullins. They're at least somewhat competitive. They're back to Beathard. He's got some starting experience. Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach. That's a well-coached team, but they are so beat up. They're missing so many players that I think the Cardinals are rolling to a point where they should be able to take care of the 49ers. Division game, you never know, but they probably will be able to take care of the 49ers. They do have a date with the Rams in Week 17. That should be a really good game. And, of course, we would all become Rams fans if we get to the point where the Bears can get into the playoffs with the Cardinals' loss against the Rams. So that's kind of that. That's all it's down to. It's basically going to be the Cardinals or the Bears. I know there's maybe some weird scenarios where maybe the Vikings can get in or something. No, no, no. They're going to worry about that. It's either the Bears or the Cardinals for the seventh seed. So let's take care of the team in front of us, the 1-13 Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's talk about what we think it takes to beat this team. And this is not a team that you can look past. We just saw the Jets beat those Rams. We've seen the Jags be pretty competitive. They won their first game. They've lost 13 straight. But they've been competitive. They took the Vikings to overtime. They 
they really like almost beat the Packers. They were within one score of the Packers. So they've played some teams tough, but they're not overall a talent-rich team. So I've got a couple keys. Obviously, EJ jump in and, and add, add some as we go along. But first one, don't make mistakes. Bears are the better team, and if you play with a clean sheet, your talent differential in this game should be enough to win it for you. Yeah, the Bears are peaking right now in terms of, again, you said it earlier, getting the most out of the talent that's assembled. And I think you're right. I think the Bears are a more talented team, although the Jags are not a talentless team. There is a lot of good football players. There are a lot of good football players on the Jags right now. They are hurting at quarterback. Uh, The Bears know their pain. They're considering Mike Glennon to start. I'm just going to let that hang out in the air. Revenge game. The ginger giraffe is in probability to start. Now, I, like many NFL fans, don't need to see any more from Mike Glennon. I've seen what I need to see to know who he is. And that's a fine bridge starter for a game or two. But other than that, I really don't need Mike Glennon on my team. Gardner Minshew started the year off extremely hot. In fact, that first game they won, he looked brilliant. And I came out on my other podcast and said so. He was spot on. He looked tremendously dialed. He made all the right decisions. He eventually morphed back into being Gardner Minshew, not Superman, and started making enough bad decisions in a row that he got benched uh he came back last week i just watched that game last night in preparation for bootleg and he is uh a little bit lost right now as a quarterback he is extremely streaky he's sort of like the microcosm of the nick Foles career in a single game (laughs) for the entire first half he looked really rough last week uh, he started to come on at the beginning of the third quarter. Looked like the second half adjustments, whatever it was. Who knows? Maybe maybe his mom brought orange slices. But he looked dialed for the third quarter and started to make some good decisions. But eventually came apart at the end and they end up losing the game. Um, if they're not getting consistent quarterback play, it really doesn't matter how much talent is on the Jags. They have a great running back. They've got a host of good receivers. Uh, but... If you're not getting sort of what I'll call consistent distribution from the quarterback position, the Jags don't have a great chance of winning this game. Yeah, they got a fun running back from Illinois State. So that's too bad that the Bears didn't scout him in their backyard because I'm sure that he might have been interested in uh, interested in signing. Or, you know, pick him up as, a, I don't know, an undrafted free agent because, uh, yeah, he you was there. need a draft pick to get him. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that that's the kind of guy that you would expect that you it's easy scouting in your backyard, right? And and a lot of those guys do stick close to home. So unfortunately he found his way down to Jacksonville. But uh, my second key is keep the offense moving. And what I mean by that is continue to call those boots, the play action, the RPOs. It's working, keep it up, just that simple. Just keep the same offensive game plan that's been working the last few weeks. It's gonna work against uh, Jacksonville as well. Yeah, if you can put Miles Jack at the second level in conflict for the Jacksonville defense, you're going to have a pretty good day. Uh, Their defensive line has some talent on it. Their linebacking core has some talent as well, but Miles Jack is really that athletic defender. He's their Roquan Smith. He's the guy that's going to cover Cole Komet easily, uh, can even cover somebody like Anthony Miller in short spurts. Um, If you can put Miles Jack 
if you can either run plays away from him, much like uh, teams run plays away from Khalil Mack, I realize he plays a different position, but if you've got a star defender that's extremely athletic, you scheme the offense away from them. So I think Bill Lazor and the Bears are probably going to be looking at how can we occupy Miles Jack so we can get the ball over here and he's not there because he's everywhere. He's a tackling machine. He's extremely athletic. They are going to have to watch for him on the occasional sort of coffee house delayed blitz from the linebacker. But if you can take care of Jack on that second level, you can have a pretty good day against Jacksonville. And the Bears do have enough weapons uh, to spread that field, to spread the ball around. Mooney looked really good last game as well. Allen Robinson is always on the other side. Montgomery, you know, a lot of Jack's responsibility in this game is going to be keying on David Montgomery because he's had a good two or three weeks. He's put up a lot of production. So play action is going to be huge. We talked about it earlier, but then getting it out to the opposite side of the field or leaving Jack unblocked for that aggressive tendency and going to the other going to the other direction is going to be a Bears key for this game. So I think they can overcome what Jacksonville has. There's a lot of talented defenders there. They're not playing great team defense right now. Um, so if you have to sort of stack up the units, Bears offense versus Jags defense, Bears offense is the clear winner there. Bears defense versus the Jags offense. Again, with the struggles at quarterback, Bears defense wins that. So that says the Bears should probably win this football. Yeah, note on Darnell Mooney. I was looking at his stats today. In every game this year, he has recorded at least two catches. So that's pretty good for a rookie. He's been consistent. You know, he's getting five targets a game. You know, he's he's been pretty darn good out of the gates. He's got some polish to him. Go ahead. Whose record did he break? Well, come on, this is this is your roundhouse, man. Well, uh, they they were talking about Harlan Hill, and then Jack brought up that it was uh, also Johnny Knox had that record as well. So, well, uh, you know, that's not it's not bad company to be in absolutely. as a Bears rookie, right? Harlan Hill and Johnny Knox. I'll, I'll say, obviously, Harlan Hill in the nineteen fifties, and they were playing twelve game seasons at that point. But Harlan Hill. Out of the gate, one of the best wide receivers in the history of NFL football. I extrapolated his stats from 12 games out to 16 games when I was doing championship belt series and compared them to a guy by the name of Randy Moss. And their first three years are essentially the same. (laughs) And this was 1950s. It, 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 the guy was amazing. He actually won an MVP award. They had a couple of different news organizations that that did uh, postseason awards at that time. And so I don't think it was like the AP MVP, but it was an MVP award, and they gave it to Harlan Hill. So this guy was legitimate. He got hurt, unfortunately, uh, had a shortened career because of that. It was never the same explosiveness. Otherwise, the Bears would have better receiving records and would have a Hall of Fame wide receiver but that's you know that's bears history stuff that's another podcast so third one create pressure and that's i don't care if it's menchu or if it's mike lennon and the whole idea of the revenge game thing which i find funny is like anytime someone plays their former team they're gonna have extra motivation look mike lennon has no motivation to hurt the bears he has stacks of $100 bills that he lights on fire to warm his house with because of 
of Ryan Pace and the Chicago Bears. There's no animosity that Mike Glennon should have for extra motivation here. It's not a real thing anyway, I don't think, for most players, but I think the idea of the revenge game is really funny. But if it's Mike Glennon back there, please get some pressure on him because this is not someone that can hold up to pressure. And I, I just I want to see it all come together for Chuck Pagano. The offense is playing better. Let's unleash this defense. Scheme some stuff up for guys to win on stunts, blitzes. I don't care. Just go. Yeah, and you can get pressure on Minshew too. Minshew is certainly more mobile than Mike Clinton, but even this last week, he's dropping his eyes at this point of the season. When he's seeing the rush, he is not. Uh, making that one move, stepping up, and bringing his eyes back up. He is literally pulling the ball in, dropping his eyes, and looking where he's going to get hit from. He's at that point of the season. So the Bears, again, if Bilal Nichols and Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and and everybody else in the defensive line, we've seen Robert Quinn come up. Uh, we've seen Mingo get some pressure, Mario Edwards Jr. Like All these guys have had pretty good days. If you're circling a game on your calendar, you're circling this one. The Jacksonville offensive line is not terrific. The quarterbacks are not playing tremendous. They're not taking advantages, uh, not taking advantage of when you're making those mistakes, when you're leaving a gap in defensive pressure. They're not killing you for it. So pin your ears back and go after them. Hit them a couple of times and make them fold. And that's always been a key to winning. I think it can be done with either quarterback playing Glennon certainly not very mobile. Minshew more mobile and typically more uh, bent to step up into the rush. He's not doing it over the last couple of weeks. So the Bears are getting Jacksonville at a pretty good time and can definitely put pressure on either quarterback. That's always a key to winning. Yep, absolutely. So pretty simple because this is a 1-13 team and the Bears are a team that still has playoff hopes. So that's all I have for keys because I don't think it should take that much. I have a question for you, though, before we get back to the drinks. Are the Bears going to make the playoffs? Ooh, uh, two weeks ago, I would have said, dead no, I'll take your money. And now, <laughs> looking at the looking at the path of the playoffs, it's actually more likely than most Bears fans think. The playoffs have been expanded. Uh, the Bears are playing well. It doesn't take that much for the Bears to make the playoffs. So, given that... Uh, it's, I would say, better than even money that they do. They're playing very well. They're probably going to polish off this Jaguars team, and then it really comes down to the Packers. Are they playing for something in the final week, or are they resting their starters? If they're resting their starters, I actually think the Bears might roll over them fairly easily, which is a crazy thing to say with both teams at full strength. But if they're not at full strength, and they, you know, I'm not saying they sit Aaron Rodgers, but maybe they play him for a quarter, and then they pull him, and they don't play, you know, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. Like, that's a whole different team. That Packers team is not extremely deep after the after the triplets, right? They'll probably pull guys like David Bakhtiari. You don't want to see him get a knee injury in a meaningless game. So if that's the case and the Bears roll out, the chances they make the playoffs are actually pretty good. Yeah, they still need the Cardinals to lose. A game, and I think that they're probably going to be okay against the 49ers, but should be interesting against the the, the Rams. They're divisional games, both of them. So, yeah, for the, the Rams, I think the Rams game is going to be the one, but the Cardinals have to, you know, they have to run the table too because they have to assume that the Bears, you know, they can't assume the Bears are going to lose a game. 
So Cardinals are going to feel like they got to win both games as well. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I, you know, again, with that six game losing streak, everybody's pretty negative. <laughs> and, and you just, but you don't necessarily realize whatever, where everything's at with standings wise. And now you kind of look at it, and you're like, well, yeah, I don't know, maybe. It, it doesn't take very much. I was actually surprised at the, the, lowness of the threshold let's put it that way i was like oh it's going to be one of those things where there's like a list of seven things that has to happen for the bears to make the playoffs and the answer is if they win out it's like two things yep just cardinals and they're one and they're fine so there's actually a and this is more of the sort of convoluted playoff scenario there's a possibility that the bears could be playing the nfc east winner Oh, they could actually wow. okay. move up, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, right. The possibility of a losing record overall division winner, which is quite possible for the NFC East right now. There's a possibility that the Bears could occupy the playoff spot that would draw the NFC East winner. Now, more things have to happen to make that as as opposed to just making the playoffs in general. But, boy, if that happens and you end up playing... I don't know, Washington, I assume, as the NFC East winner in the first round. Like, you could see this Bears team in the second round. Like, it's possible without, like, crazy histronics that that could occur. And so the I, I, obviously, the Saints would have to keep, hold on to the division, and the Bucks would have to lose their last two, so they'd have an even record, and the Bears would have a tiebreaker. So that would Right, give them and the that. tiebreaker goes, like, Bears, Cards, Bucks, down strength of schedule uh, but i anyways. don't think that they would they can't catch the seahawks who have 10 wins no 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 and then so the rams would be a wild card team there but the rams beat the bears in the regular season so i think the rams would own the tiebreaker even if they lost the last two but they can't lose the last two because that would well i guess the cardinals <laughs> would have to lose this week right so i don't know that that's we'll have to update that we'll have to check and see because it looks like i'll send you the tweet Okay. It wasn't it wasn't mine. I'll send you the tweet. And I was like, huh. <laughs> it's an outside scenario, but that would be crazy. Either way, if this Bears team makes the playoffs, we all know, and you say it all the time, and I think it's a great analogy, a seat at the table, right? Chip in a chair. Yep. Give me some chips, give me a chair, see what I can do. And this Bears team is peaking at the right time. It scored 30 points three weeks in a row. The Bears defense is still playing okay. You got to assume that a guy like Jalen Johnson is going to come back in time for meaningful games of, you know, late season or early playoffs. Like that's a fighting chance I'm going to get behind. Uh, as a Bears fan, they could knock some people off and make some noise. Are they going to go win the Super Bowl? I highly doubt it, but could they make some noise in the NFC playoffs and give Bears fans something to cheer about? Hell yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's a that's a good place to end it. So how was the holiday beer? It is good. The fruit is there. The malt balances it, keeps it from being too sweet. Definitely has a little bit of a tart kick. Uh, doesn't pour with a great head necessarily, but has a really nice brown amber color. Uh, I don't know that I would want to drink, say, two of them straight. Uh, but this time, holiday beer, enjoying things for sort of seasonal flavor and character. Uh, I love Silver City will rarely go against one of their offerings and uh this is a good one well i'm 80 percent through with my moonshine cocktail <laughs> here and uh i can feel it 
I put a couple <laughs> shots in there with this, and uh, I can feel it. I lost your train of, of conversation at one point, so I'm definitely, you know. Nice. In- that's why I got you. That's why the play action worked. I yeah, got it. in character there. So, under the influence. But, yeah, again, I have no idea what Jacksonville's actually like. Might be a nice town. But I thought it'd be kind of funny to bring on some moonshine. So, yeah, next next time we play Jacksonville, that, that might be a while. But uh, Four there's a really great analyst on Twitter uh, named Lori Fitzpatrick who actually played women's professional football and now does X's and O's breakdowns for the Jaguars. And if I'd thought about it beforehand, I would have asked to have her on uh, for this one because she obviously knows the Jaguars very, very well. But... Um, and hopefully, or I imagine, knows Jacksonville pretty well. So she could come on and possibly defend the honor of the town you're besmirching. But um, <laughs> in the meantime, hey, I'd probably take their weather over mine right now. So, Oh, I definitely would. Yeah, again, I honestly, I have nothing. My biggest connection to Jacksonville is, is uh, you know, what I've seen on TV or what I've read about. I don't actually have any firsthand knowledge, and I'm not really besmirching them. I just, you know, just kind of going along with the good place, you know, and their their character that's from Jacksonville, which is hilarious, by the way, because he yells Bortles when he throws things, and he throws Molotov cocktails and yells Bortles, and it's very funny. And that show has a lot of Jacksonville Jaguars references. So anyway, good stuff. Get us out of here. Yeah, so you got anything else coming out this week, or is this the sum total of your holiday week production? No, I did a bunch of stuff. I got the five questions going with uh, with the Jaguars site, and so that's that's happening uh, here on the site here coming up, I don't know, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. I'm not sure when this will come out, when you'll hear it, but that's that's coming out, five, five, five questions exchange, and, you know, then the typical articles, but nothing special. Cool. Well, I'm doing this and uh, Bootleg Football Podcast, which I'm recording right after this with Brett Coleman, comes out on YouTube and all the regular podcast channels as well. And then I am starting to dig into Senior Bowl rosters because the fine. Yeah, that's right. It happened. Breaking the seal. Uh, senior Bowl rosters are getting finalized. The last senior quarterback is accepting this evening his Senior Bowl invite. So starting to take a look at who's going to be down there in Mobile. Uh, we'll have some live stream draft coverage uh, after the Senior Bowl. We'll be doing recaps of the practice days, uh, probably on YouTube Live on the Bootleg channel. But uh, that's that's kicking off that portion of the season for me. Which feels a little soon, I gotta say, because it's it's running into the end of the regular season. But um, always fun to look at all the draft picks. I did take a sneak peek at uh, one Mister Zach Wilson last night in his bowl game, BYU versus UCF. Uh, that was interesting for oh, I'd say about a half. <laughs> he had a great production. His first quarter would have been a tremendous um, output for an entire Bears half or maybe full game. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, college scouting is is taken off. So, until then, enjoy the Jaguars game. Should be a winnable game for the Bears. But either way, enjoy. They are playing more young talent. That's always fun to see who's going to develop, who might play a role down the stretch for the Bears. And who knows? We could see these Bears in the playoffs. So, keep watching. And until then, bear down. Bear down.